Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the MediaBias.com. Joining me today is TJ. Up! David. Up. And my name is Chris. Up. We're going to talk about movies we've watched today. I put out a late call for homework, so we're going to be talking about The Irishman, released on Netflix. We're also going to talk about other stuff we've watched that's recent, like we've all watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and other assorted films that are um, not a... Uh, not definites, but according to these two masters of Oscar predictions, uh, pretty, be. <laughs> pretty these, these nominations, pretty pretty firm locks for uh, for some categories for the Oscars. But um, yeah, so TJ, you've seen some extracurricular activities, uh, some some movies, not the, the the main two we're talking about. You want to start us off? Yeah. Uh, I went and saw the new Ron Johnson film, Knives Out, which was uh, really, really great and super fun. It's a straight up kind of Agatha Christie and then there were none story. Uh, like the first scene, Christopher Plummer's found dead. Yeah. And uh, it's all about figuring out why he died. And it's all like the cops show up and they say no one can leave. Uh, they show for a will reading. Both. Okay. The whole story plays out over a couple of weeks after the death. Mm. Um, it's ruled a suicide. It's one of those. He killed himself. And then the guy who comes in to kind of like, wait, maybe not, is pretty much like a southern Perot, and mm. played by Daniel Craig, who comes in as a PI. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield plays the like lead detective. Okay. Who's there. So it's kind of the two of them. Figured shit out. I feel like with his James Bond money, he now has like a clause like, if I'm not English, I will be Southern. <laughs> yeah. I was worried about his accent, but it's really good. Not annoying at all. Not Foghorn Leghorn? No. <laughs> okay, it was good. Um, but the cast was ridiculous. It was Dale Craig, Chris Evans, Anna Darmus, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, Christopher Plummer. It was real deep. Bang. Um, and no real lead after... Dale Craig and Anna Darmus. They're all kind of doing their own thing. They all play siblings. Christopher Plummer's kids and grandkids. Cool. Um, really well written. Really funny at times. Uh, the kid from It who plays Bill Dimbro uh, is like a alt-right blogger. <laughs> He's like 16. Mm-hmm. And they do that. They keep calling him the Nazi. <laughs> it's real funny. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what to say about it. It was really well written. It's kind of forgettable in the way that it's a movie plot that's been done for mm-hmm. hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, but really good, worth a watch, and deserving of it. So it's like 94 on Metacritic or something crazy. Wow. Is uh, there any any single performance that really stands out that someone steals the movie or anything? Or is it true ensemble? Craig was good. I held Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson. They play a couple a little higher than everybody else. Yeah. It was real fun seeing Chris Evans like not have to be Captain America. <laughs> he plays a real dick of a dude. He's great at that. So that's fun. Yeah, it's kind of uh, reminiscent of his Scott Pilgrim character a little bit. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, super fun. Costuming and production design was fantastic. And uh, checks in at like right at two hours. Nice. And we had a good time. You, you've seen every Ryan Johnson directed movie, right? <laughs> I've not seen The Brothers Bloom. Oh, should check it out. Yeah, it's on my list. Yeah, it's pretty good. And I just Brick was really good. I like. I was a bigger fan of Looper than most. I think. Yeah. Even though Looper is pretty well liked. Yeah. And then, you know, 
I was on the right side of the Star Wars argument, so I like that movie too. Yeah. So where do you rank this in relation to? Oh, that's hard. You guys are the ones who fucking rank everything. So yeah. Just, no, I know. It's, it's a, a, a it's a bunch fine of question. different genres too. Yeah. It's uh also like all four of those movies. I would have it like four and a half or five stars. Yeah. So I'd probably have it. Probably have it ahead of Looper, behind Brick and the Last Jedi. Okay. Brick's just as a debut film too. Was like holy fuck. Yeah. This guy can write. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Um. But yeah, I highly recommend Knives Out. Go check it out. It should stay in theaters for a while. The theater was sold out. Cool. I think it did some <clears throat> pretty good business as a yeah. kind of Frozen 2 counter, counter programming. Yeah. Which is good because it's, you know, original idea, non-IP thing from a director that, uh, you know, is super talented. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll see. Um... Yeah, made $44 million this first weekend. It's Thanksgiving's holiday weekend, so right. it gets a couple extra days. Yeah. But that's good for a movie that, I mean, yeah. what was his budget, I wonder? $40 million? Yeah. So. Yeah, it'll wind up making, like, what, $80 million domestic by the end of its run? Yeah, unless it... It's a great season for it, so after you've seen Star Wars around Christmas, you could... Right. You know... It seems like a good parents movie. Take so it's a, parents to a fun murder mystery. Yeah, it's a whodunit. Like, who doesn't like those movies? Yeah. There's at least someone for everyone. Like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. Captain America is in it. Yeah. Bill is in it. I'm excited to hear James that Anna Armas. James Bond. <clears throat> Anna yeah. Armas has more of a starring role. Because I feel like they 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 sell the stars in the trailers. I did not know she was in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then to find out that she's like in kind of a starring role. She is the female lead, with, yeah. without a doubt. Well, I love Arms Armist. I think she's great. Yeah. Yeah, she is great. But yeah, go see Knives Out. I was trying to find the, not that it matters too much, but the Rotten Tomatoes Metacritic scores. Uh, yeah, 96 and 92. There's just nothing like to dislike about it. Yeah. It's really hard to. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what if you came in with expectations that the movie was going to be different? Then is that a valid reason to hate a Ryan Johnson movie? Yeah, okay, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted uh, Christopher Plummer to actually have uh, killed everyone in the house. So when that didn't happen, I hated the movie. <laughs> when Jamie Lee Curtis flew through space, I found it a little <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Then uh, David mentioned it, so I'm going to go next with uh, another new movie scene in theaters. Uh, the the wife and I went and watched uh, Frozen 2. You and Glenn Close? Yep. <laughs> Me and Glenn Close watched Frozen 2. Um, it was... It <laughs> must was, be such a weird event. <laughs> it was on, Jonathan Price showed up and he was like... And we are like, I'm sorry, man. We took your seat. Uh, no, but I did now for the second consecutive theater event have to move people out of our seats because now our dinky little theater has assigned seats. I don't know why they did that. It's, it's not AMC wide. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. But it was... We just got to Phillips, man. This, this <laughs> I take a, naps up there. That's <laughs> great. Because it's... Because it was Frozen 2, it was, of course, like a, a family. And mm-hmm. their argument as to... Well, not their argument, but I was like, hey, you know, you're in our seats. Like, sorry. And then I got a whole sob story about like, oh, well, the theater wasn't that full. So we just figured, you know, we could sit anywhere and it wouldn't be a problem. We have our own seats somewhere. And I was like... Okay. Like, don't... <laughs> go there. <laughs> yeah, don't make that my problem. Because if I go and sit in a seat, and then someone shows up and says, you're in my seat, 
what am I going to do? Say like, oh, well, you got to talk to the woman in a row back. She's in my seat. And then you make them move. And then we'll move. Like, no, just you fucking move. <laughs> but anyway, so I got into a fight at Frozen 2. Yeah, everybody move one person. <laughs> yeah. Everybody will be in their seat. No, but yeah, I saw Frozen 2. And it's, um, it's good. It's, uh, <laughs> not, it's pretty much what you'd expect from a, uh, sequel to Frozen. It, you know, picks up where it left off. Uh, Elsa is the queen of Arendelle, and she hears the call of the wild to go and find out why she's got ice powers, and that's what the movie's about. Those are words. Yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's... I'm sort of ask you about these characters. What did you think about Iduna? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but there's there's no compared to the first movie, which is tough because I think the first movie is just really good and just a great like Disney outing for a kids movie. Um, there's no big let it go moment in my opinion. I know that there's some some Frozen fans who have picked the uh, it's called like Show Me or something, uh, but they're saying that that is. But I just don't think it has the same effect that Let It Go had. Um, and it's also, you know, I didn't even sell such like a good, like Broadway voice. There's no big like number that yeah. really helps Adina Kabazi. Yeah. <laughs> <Saduna> Bobaba. <laughs> um, but it was, it was pretty good. Um, the, my, my favorite part is, uh, there's so it, the B plot is that, uh, uh, Kristoff is, is trying to propose to Anna and can't find the right time because he's, you know, a bumbling dude who doesn't know how to do romance. But he has a whole song that is uh, filmed like an 80s power ballad. Like, including, like, it's him leaning up against a tree, like, singing about feelings and, like, how he can't find the right timing. And then it superimposes, like, a close-up cut of, like, just his face, like, singing and the reindeer do, like, backup vocals to it. It's really funny. Nice. But, um... Still, it's weird to me that the guy who's the voice of Kristoff is the uh, guy in Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jonathan Groff. Um, but yeah, so I'd check it out if you're. I mean, if if you're, you're going to see Frozen Two. You know, if you're already going to see Frozen Two, <laughs> so I don't know if, if recommending it or not recommending it changes that path. I feel like if you're going to see Frozen Two, you've already seen Frozen Two. <laughs> yeah, almost. And if you haven't, you probably never will, and you'll be one of those cool people who's like, well, I never saw it. I'll catch it on Disney Plus, yep. I guess, eventually. But yep. For my little angle in, what do you think about its best animated or best song chances? Uh, I, I mean, I think... I, I really can't point to the song that is the the, the, the big contender. Because there, there are, I think, two, probably. Um I've heard uh, rumors that, that Disney is campaigning harder for one than the other, and fans on the subreddit are pretty upset um, that they made whatever choice they did. But uh, for best animated, I mean, Toy Story 4 still got it. Still eats its lunch. Yeah. They, they do, I mean, it is a higher degree of difficulty than what Toy Story 4 does. Um, so, But we don't know what best animated actually awards, because it's certainly not... The most technically impressive because we watched Kubo get destroyed. It um, was it? Sorry, why? Why is the why? <laughs> is this how podcasts? <laughs> I mean, it's like Tangled, right? Like the argument with Tangled is, uh, you know, they had to individually animate each one of the strands of her hair, and there's so much hair on screen. With this, they do just like a lot. 
there's a lot of um, so in the spirit world, like in the secret forest behind the fog, uh, there are like these individual crystals that'll hang in the air. So there's just like constantly like confetti on the screen, which is a difficult rendering job for video processing. Yeah, I have a bunch of really small, really detailed objects all over the place, and there's a bunch of scenes with that. Um, and you know they're animating like ocean and water and uh, these. There's just so many small details that don't look like little compressed like artifacts. That look right. like super detailed, even you know, as small as they are. Um, but I still think that Toy Story Four is just a bad movie. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I've landed on what best animated feature does. Yeah, it's like what is the best movie that was animated? Yeah, uh, Kubo still should have won. Yeah, but it was kind of they kind of acknowledged the fact that it was the best animated movie that year by giving it a visual effects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so you you you've seen Frozen two, um, if uh, it's your bag already. So it's already made almost eight hundred million dollars. That's insane. <laughs> it's been out <clears throat> since oh, I guess it's been out for two weeks now. It, it released the week before Thanksgiving. It's still ridiculous. It's still ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I saw. That's like a new Oscar ish movie. It'll get nominated. It'll get nominated. It'll get nominated at least in two categories. Right. And that's probably it. Yeah. If we did our Oscar nomination draft, it would be an uh, an interesting fourth round pick for us because you know it's getting two, and you know it's not getting more than two. Yeah. Oh, we gotta do that again this year. That was fun. <clears throat> yeah. That was fun because I won last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <Dang. sighs> you watch something else that sounds super fun? I did. <laughs> I, I'm. I, I was wondering if Idris Elba made a good movie that's not a Thor movie yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I watched Hobbs and Shaw, uh, which is, uh, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> About Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like sixth grade book report style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it longer, it's like, I watched the movie Hobbs and Shaw. The movie I watched, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> Two main characters were Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson stars as Hobbs, and Deckard Shaw is played by Jason Statham in the movie Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> I remember my old reports, and Mr. Darcy is played in my mind by Chris <laughs> <Wilson. laughs> But yeah, so it was a pretty good visual... By, by Super Mario. <laughs> it was a pretty good visual book. Uh, but no, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, dumb movie. It's... So... I, Around, like, Fast Five, the producers of the Fast and the Furious universe wanted to shift it away from being, like, a series just about cars to making it more of, like, a vehicle for just, like, a standard action movie. <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to have three people back on the podcast room. <laughs> just getting peppered on both sides. Uh, so where does it rank in its funometer compared to the other non uh, I mean, I, I think I have, uh, rightfully so, I have Tokyo Drift pretty high in my all-time ranking. Rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> on the right side of history. Yeah, yeah, on the right side of history. Um, and I think that the first two movies are trash. So, once you kind of separate that, it's somewhere in that middle pack with like, uh, five and six. Hmm. Okay. Still a decent showing for a spinoff. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, the, they had great action stars. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. The only thing that the only thing that that's a little hard to believe is that like The Rock being like this like meat mountain is supposed to be like on equal footing with Jason Statham, who's this like. Yeah, he's like, you know, this ripped dude, but there's no fucking way if they ever got into a fist fight, Jason Statham would be able to, like, hit, <laughs> like, knock him out. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, but Idris Elba's great. Vanessa Kirby is great as the the, the lead leading woman. Um, and the plot is silly. Are you still laughing at me calling him a meat mountain? <laughs> like a sentient mound of roast beef. <laughs> I was thinking like ground with raised eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he does have. I mean, there's there's so much fan service in these movies that it's mm-hmm. you know unfair to really spend too much time thinking about it. Like he has, he's talking to his daughter on the phone, and she's like, "You're doing it." He's like, "Doing what?" She has that thing with your eyebrow. He's like, "No, I'm not." And then he does it. He does like the iconic rock eyebrow thing, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a uh, fun fun movie. Um, it's you know doesn't overstay its welcome. And Idris Elba uh, delivers the line "I'm Black Superman," which is great. Um, but there's a good chance in the top ten in the year, highest grossing, which is crazy. It's uh, almost at eight hundred million dollars worldwide. Which is nice, ridiculous. It's tied with Frozen too. <laughs> Yeah, that was Frozen 2 right now. Um, yeah, if and judging by how many movies I've seen this year so far, if I had to make a top 10 list right now, it would probably be on my top 10 list. There's already $7 billion movies this year, worldwide. That's just absurd. And then one that's almost $3 billion. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's Hobbs and Shop. I recommend it if you want a fun action movie. Sure. Rock's pretty good at making those. Yeah, he is. Anyway, main event? Or, David, did you want to talk about the other movie you saw? I think it's just <clears throat> in passing. Both of you guys have saw it, but I finally caught up with uh, Booksmart. It's available on Hulu now. I haven't seen it, but I will probably oh, tonight. Oh, okay. I've been, it's been on the list. I just keep... It was like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then it was The Irishman. Yeah. I know Brent really liked it. I know you and uh, Kelly have seen mm-hmm. it, right? Getting great reviews. I was hoping it would sneak, uh, and I'm still hoping it sneaks uh, screenplay now. But it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit in that yeah. aspect. It's just so goddamn likable. And yeah. Fun. <clears throat> yeah. The two leads are, are great. Beanie Feldstein and uh, Caitlin Dever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Feldstein. Jenna Hill's little sister. She's pretty great in everything. Yeah. I love uh, Dever from Justified. She was great in that. And Short Term 12. Mm. One of my favorites of the decade. Yeah. Um, really funny. Uh, one of those things where, you know, the uh, people you know in high school, there may be more than meets the eye. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, they still have enough flair and, and panache to execute it pretty, to a satisfactory level. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, didn't, isn't it this Olivia Wilde's directorial debut? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty <clears throat> visually dynamic for like a, a first-time director, former actress, yeah. to do it. It's not not just like you know shooting the script. There's a lot of fun stuff she kind of does with it. Yeah, some some good sequences in there. Yeah, yeah, but I recommend it. Cool, book smart. And now on to the main event. What do you guys want to start with? Let's save the announced. Topic for last, maybe. Okay. We'll start with Once Upon a Time. Yeah, this was just kind of fortuitous. We all ended up getting it getting it watched. We all ended up <laughs> watching it by this um, without, you know, planning on having a, a three-way on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but 
Yeah. Let's talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How'd you like it? And where does it rank? (laughs) (laughs) In everything. (laughs) Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I did too. What I liked most about it, and uh, the one thing I've kind of heard is a criticism, maybe not a criticism, but just something people notice, is that I really appreciate the pace slowing down for Tarantino. It was a very un-Tarantino movie. Yeah. In that respect, yes. It was It was kind of really nice to take our time with, with situations. And some scenes probably don't need to be in there plot-wise. Like, the entire tracking shot of Sharon Tate going to the movie theater and then going to the bookstore and going back. But it was nice that the movie breathes like that. Um, it makes me think, you know, we never know directorial intent unless they tell us. And even then, who knows? But it feels like uh, Quentin Tarantino kind of maturing past the, you know, zip-bang pacing and and quick cuts to kind of like be able to settle in and just kind of enjoy what all of the uh, people who brought the film together, um, what they're doing, how the shots are composed and all that. Um, I really like that about it. I've heard some people say it's, you know, slow... um, I'd say it's uh it's kind of leisurely, but it's fun leisure for me. Yeah, I I I agree about the pacing. I it, it didn't feel. I can't I can't point to a scene where I went that was long or excruciating. Even even like the Sharon Tate one felt like felt fine to me. It's kind of a three thread in both these movies a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like this movie in particular had like three scenes that were kind of shot and acted and filmed all the way around to perfection. Uh, and I think that was the scene of Brad Pitt on the ranch, yep. which that whole thing was like 30, ranch. 40 minutes long. <clears throat> yeah. It was so good. It was so good though. Yeah. And, and his conversation uh, with Bruce Dern. Yeah. Everything on the uh, pilot where Timothy Oliphant was to star with DiCaprio. Mm. All of that Incredible, was fantastic. Yeah. DiCaprio and the little girl was just DiCaprio so in the trailer. Oh like, my God. I feel like it's the best he's been since the, like the Quaalude scene and, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. In yeah. terms of his like physical, I love when he's comedic. Yeah, his physical comedic acting. He does all of the talk about quitting drinking and then picks up the little flask <laughs> right after that. <laughs> uh, and then I think the final scene too, where Tarantino was like, "All right, let me do the thing I'm good at." Yeah, <clears throat> now, let, let me do the shooting Hitler in a theater part. Yeah, it's kind of just Chef's kiss of the uh, you know the <clears throat> um, what is it the the gun. Thing, Russian kind of guy. Couldn't have said it better myself. Chekhov's, Chekhov's gun of the acid-dipped cigarette. Yeah. Um, a nice showcase for Brad Pitt at the end. Yeah. To kind of have just a ton of fun in that last scene. I love just when the flamethrower comes out at the end. I'm just like, yay, you completed it. Yeah. It's just complete absurdity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything. There are multiple guns, I feel like, in mm-hmm. that final scene. You had like the dog and the cigarette and the flamethrower. But even All even the Manson family is kind of a Chekhov's gun. Yeah, living next door to Sharon Tate, like the the whole part of it is. Yeah, you got Manson coming. I thought Manson would be a little bigger in it, but you know you don't need more than that. No. The family's pretty creepy on its own, and well, pretty stupid. Yeah, they they got played up in a dumb way, which is kind of fun. Yeah, like yeah, they're just like dumb evil people. Right, they didn't really have a reason for doing what they were doing other than. It was so funny because as we were watching it, Kelly was, was you know, she knows 
she watches a ton of that like true yeah. crime shit and has read a bunch about the the Manson family murders and, and when the four of them are walking down the street Kelly goes wait didn't one of them stay in the car and I wanted to tell her don't bring actual history into this but I didn't because <laughs> just wait <laughs> yeah uh, not knowing that there was this like this complete turn of events right but uh <laughs> but then but then when Maya Hawk fucks off and takes the car I think Kelly started to get wise to the fact that like oh one of them waited in the car and now the car's gone so I wonder what's gonna happen right um but super super, super interesting um just quick quick side question did you guys notice in the credits that uh Tim Roth was credited <laughs> yeah. as and then by his name in parentheses it said that his scene was cut yeah, but not the weirdest credit I noticed. Uh, one of the dancers at the party with Mama Cass and Steve McQueen, that yeah. party, yeah. Uh, was Tony Basil, singer of Oh Mickey, You're So Fun. It's <laughs> like, what? Well, I think she choreographed the Pulp Fiction dance. At the, the commercial. Yeah, so she's got history with Tarantino, but still like kind of yeah. interesting. Just weird. Tarantino also makes his cameo debut, just announcing Bounty Law. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and apparently in the uh, in the post credit scene or the during credit scene is the director of the Red Apple Cigarettes commercial. Yeah, you did have all the like Tarantino all stars show up. Like, notice Michael Madsen in one of the old Western mm-hmm. TV show bits. Yep, and uh, his like Uma Thurman's permanent stunt double for Tarantino, Zoe Bell. Mm-hmm. Yep, played the played Kurt Russell's wife. Yep, yep. plus double duty stuntman Mike narrator and. The uh, I guess prop master or whatever he was. He's like the stunt coordinator. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, with his wife. Um, <clears throat> no Samuel L. Jackson, as far as I know. No, I don't believe so. Um, yeah, and I thought the interesting casting was the uh, the kind of unrecognizable Lena Dunham and Dakota Fanning mm, yeah. uh, as just members of the the the, the hippie ranch. Yeah, well, I mean, Dakota Fanny's character is the one who shot Ford, which Squeaky is phone. weird. Yeah, yeah. Also weird that she just lives in Detroit now. That lady, <laughs> Squeaky from. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but oh yeah, all the uh, the the flower children on on the spawn. The ranch scene was just gorgeous. Yeah. They all, all it's just so unsettling and filled with dread. Even though it's like halfway throughout the movie and your lead is going through there. It's still, you get that dread of what's going to happen. Yeah. Or at least I did. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I really like Damian Lewis's minor performance as Steve McQueen. I thought he was a great Steve McQueen. Yeah, he was also really good at telling that dumb story. <laughs> like that person. <laughs> like that person. <laughs> it was great. Man, I totally forgot that was Al Pacino. I blended the movies together. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because we watched the first hour 45 of Once Upon a Time, and then we had to go do stuff, and then we watched all the Irishmen, and then we're like, oh, well, we've got an hour before we need to do something. Let's finish Once Upon a Time. And it was like, we watched Al Pacino, and then we turned it off, and then, like, Schwarz was the character on screen immediately next. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's probably in the middle of my Tarantino rankings. Definitely, like, better than Hateful Eight, I think. But it's up there with the ones that I love that I don't think are, like, amazing cover-to-cover films. You know what I mean? For me, the top of Tarantino gets pretty untouchable. Right. Where it's tough to mess with that. But I think just beyond that, 
maybe with a couple more watches and some distance, I think it's probably up there for me. Yeah, it's I can see it. Where it's breaks is going to depend. There's like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs for me, and then right below that, there's like Inglorious Bastards and the Kill Bill movies, yeah. and it's probably in the next tier, which is above Jackie Brown and Hateful Eight. So it's like Django, or uh, I mean, my least favorite is probably the Grindhouse movie, even though it's great. Death it's proof, just, yeah. It's just a weird, hard to compare. Yeah, sure. Tarantino having fun as opposed to trying eighty to minute a movie. Tarantino yeah. movie, yeah. But yeah, it's real good, and it's gonna going to get nominated for best picture, best director, best screenplay, um, best supporting actor, almost assuredly, and then maybe lead for DiCaprio. I don't know. I wonder if the not to get too Oscar too early, but I wonder if they fucked up the campaigns at all on those two. I feel like Brad Pitt would have a good shot at lead if that was the campaign choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really... nomination for win seems like it's it's a two-man race right now for me. Yeah. Just on both movies I haven't seen. Wait, for, for lead? Yeah. I have it between Driver and Phoenix. You think De Niro's out? I think De Niro's out for a, for a win. Right. You know, having won before. They're, those those <clears throat> three are all locks for me to get nominated. Um, interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I would definitely have De Niro third at least. Yeah, you may be on some. I think if Leo went supporting, there might be a good chance he could win again. I guess his last movie he made was The Revenant, which he won for, which may hurt that. But right, I think Leo would be a ton of fun as as the supporting nom, just because. Well, I think he's supporting. He just is. Yeah. And Brad Pitt wins this movie, by the way. DiCaprio is incredible. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a. Uh, it almost feels like a top five like lifetime performance for Pitt, for me. Yeah. Um, Probably well, have him there, too. Well, the uh, it did win an award at Cannes, an award that I didn't know they gave away. It's the Palm Dog Award, and it went to Sayuri, who plays the dog. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Dog's good. Missy. Dog was good. Yeah. Y'all, how do I feel about the... The violence? No. Uh, so... Contributor and listener Al called it a daydream, although I think it is clearly a flashback to the Bruce Lee fight. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it being either one, but I guess technically it could be. I thought about it as an embellished memory. How much he beats Bruce Lee's ass, maybe just him <laughs> drinking beers on the roof, thinking yeah. back, yeah. where he ends up, yeah, it's like, yeah, pretty fair. Yeah. <laughs> How that whole thing shook out. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I I liked it. I thought that was really funny. The uh, I, I don't know where... I don't think that Tarantino would get off looking back at Bruce Lee as arrogant, but I think that it makes more sense that Brad Pitt's character might. Yeah. I really enjoyed the writing in that scene from Tarantino because it almost made fun of Tarantino writing Yeah, a little bit when he was like... I can't kill somebody. I have to. I'll go to jail if I get in a fight and kill somebody. And Brad Pitt's like, "Yeah, it's called manslaughter. Like, <laughs> you know, it works." <laughs> yeah, like that is some totally. The first line is totally something Tarantino would have put in, like Kill Bill, to sound cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he totally made fun of himself a little bit there. I thought. Um, one one last uh, silly plot question: Do you think that uh, that Cliff intentionally killed his wife? We only get that short scene of her it was like, really well shot. nagging him, and you realize that she walks up and stands basically in front of the spear gun. Yeah. Uh, Not relevant to the movie, but... 
No. It was, it was a it was a thought that Kelly and I uh, exercised a little. Yeah, we talked about it too. I mean, clearly you're not supposed to know. Right. Um, I could kind of see him doing it. I mean, he was kind of a, you know. Yeah. With the Bruce Lee flashback, he seems like he's got. He's kind of a got a self destructive streak, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Handling the problem in front of him, not thinking about right. the repercussion. I honestly didn't think too much of it. I know that there's some. Criticism. I did like at that moment. Right. 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 Yeah. That was kind of it. There's some criticism leveled at the at the movie for for you know its hero is essentially like a domestic murderer. Yeah. And there's a lot of violence against women at the end of the movie. <clears throat> Um, not to downplay that, because that's everybody's everybody's take is their take, but it just didn't seem to me to be a big deal. I think they did a, if you know history, they do a good job earning, I guess, earning the ending. Yeah. You know, Those women, the women that had their, that were killed violently are people in real history who carved a baby out of a woman's belly. Yeah. They, so. they stabbed her stomach like 40 times. Yeah. And she was extremely pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, they could die however violent anybody wants to kill them, because <laughs> most of them are still alive. Yeah, but okay, well, cool. So I think we would all rec- recommend Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, highly, yeah. highly recommend. Yeah, even if you're not a Tarantino fan, I would, which is a, probably first for me in Tarantino movies. It's not as niche as some of the other ones. I feel right. like you know it's a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit. I think you're you're definitely on to that, TJ. It's kind of Tarantino looking back at his career and kind of commenting on it throughout the movie. Yeah, and a big bounce back for him from Hateful Eight, which I wasn't a, as big a fan of. Yeah, same. All right, so then let's talk about the other big movie that is out now. Uh, you guys said that it is probably in uh, every major category for which it could reasonably be eligible. Uh, it's The Irishman, released on Netflix... Uh, November 25th, I think. I don't know. But recently. And uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, first picture in his multi-picture deal with Netflix, starring uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci. Bringing the, <laughs> getting the squad back together. Yep, three and a half hours. I saw on the IMDb trivia, it's the longest, because it had a theatrical run, longest theatrically released movie in over 20 years. Wow. I don't know what that one would be. Maybe it's Last Emperor or something. It felt longer. <laughs> yeah, The Last Emperor felt much longer than three and a half hours. So what did you guys think of The Irishman? It's weird, man. Like, it's perfect, pretty much. There's not a lot wrong with it. I still can't get a, on board with a movie needing to be three and a half hours long. I'm not I... saying I know what to cut. Right. I'm not saying the movie was dragging or bored me. I just, it just I feel like like no, then it's not a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I yeah, I totally get you. At the on the other hand, and again, I don't know what you would cut, but the movie kind of gets better towards the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. The longer it's on, the better it kind of is for me. I did not want to stop watching it. So at the, any point, the beginning of it. Um, you know we're in we're in spoilers and and whatever. I guess this is just like the first forty five minutes are kind of like Scorsese greatest hits of like this is how people do jobs. This is probably some you know Italian American songs from the era we may have even seen before. You know a lot of it's kind of like Goodfellas again at, at the beginning of it, and then kind of diverges 
at a certain point, and at that point, it starts to get, you know, like I'm saying, I feel like it gets better as the movie goes on. Yeah. I feel like you probably could have cut the montage stuff of, like, yeah, we know how a guy who's honest kind of goes off the beaten path towards a life of crime. We know getting ingratiated into the mob, what that looks like. Um, And, like, only as far as you can because you're Irish and not of the motherland or whatever. Right. Right. Like, they hit all those hot points again. Which was in Goodfellas. Right. Or De Niro's character. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Not to say any of that is bad. But it's just, you know, I, th- I feel like I've, I've seen it before. Yeah. And, but then Al Pacino gets introduced in the movie. And I think that's where it kind of starts to turn into... S- get away from a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. When the Hoffa character is is introduced. Which is an hour into the movie almost. I will say before getting into the Hoffa stuff. And we, we probably share <clears throat> a similar sentiment is... The one great part about the early part of the movie is how revelatory, quiet... Joe Pesci is. Yeah. Joe Pesci, if we're going to bring him up now, wins this movie for me, Bob, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's real sad that he's probably the one who gets left out. Just because uh, he's doing the subtle stuff while Al Pacino is... Doing Al Pacino stuff? Yeah, De Niro's version of hoo-ha. De Niro. Like, I heard coming into this, like, people are saying it's a lifetime performance for Robert De Niro. And he's great. Yeah. He's also playing the same character he's played in, like, Jackie Brown and Goodfellas and Casino... Where he's just this kind of like laid back guy who does have a temper flare up sometimes. Yeah, he does have. A, you know, my favorite part of the movie for him is the call to Jimmy Hoffa's wife. How he, he really just good. can't get through it. I feel like that's the raw rawest I've seen him in a while. Yeah, um, he does great there. But man, Joe Pesci and subtle, a subtle way to portray power and influence is just incredible. Yeah, the best acting for me in the film was when he silently orders the hit on. Um, the young mob boss guy that De Niro kills in the diner. Uh, oh, the guy played by Sebastian Maniscalco, the uh, the blonde. Uh, is it Joey the blonde or something? Crazy Joe Gallo. Crazy Joe Gallo. Yeah. Um, but when he silently orders a hit on that at the guy's birthday party, where he just looks at De Niro with like wide eyes and kind of a frown, and I don't know, it was. It was really well done. Yeah. And the discussion of the uh, the plans changed when they're in the restaurant and he cooks his own, like, antipasta. Yeah. Antipasto. And just said, just taking De Niro through, like, this is what we had to do. Yeah. He's really good in that, too. He's yeah. really good in, like, you could pick out a bunch of scenes. Yeah, he's great. I he's, just, he's one of my favorite performances of the year so far. Yeah. That, that's That That was the scene specifically that I, like, stopped and I was like, I, I love how subtle this exhibition of power is from mm-hmm. Russ, where he's, like, in the restaurant making his own salad. <laughs> like, using, like, the nice olives and stuff and, like, calling out the ingredients as, like, so it's clear that, like, he was in charge of ordering the ingredients, like, custom ordering stuff mm-hmm. and, like... That he's just back there making a salad is such a nod to just, like, old-school power. Right. Um, there were other people that were great in this, too. I thought Harvey Cattell was really good in his very small role. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did good. Uh, I was really impressed with Ray Romano. Yeah. He was great. Uh, it was kind of a good character and casting choice for Ray Romano. Mm-hmm. Not an idiot, but bumbling. You know what I mean? Yeah, and not fully mobbed up, but, like, part of the system. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I, I wouldn't have been able to see Ray Ray Romano as a tough, so it was right. It was a good role for him there. I mean, it's the point of that character is to have like a <clears throat> a public facing, like unassuming, you know, mobbed up lawyer. Right. Where you know he doesn't have all the gold gold rings and stuff, but he's still you know he's he's in it because Russell's his brother, right? Right. Yeah. And he's also a cousin, he's got a, I think. Yeah, he's but, got a little bit of like slick to him that that is a little like. Obviously, he's corrupt, but you can kind of see it on the, the, the surface. But yeah, he does a pretty good job with that. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Plemons in a surprising role. He's got, I think, one of my favorite scenes is the whole, is both car rides with uh, Bugs, Chucky, and uh, Frank. The fish talk. Yeah. So good. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's a fucking fish. <laughs> what kind of fish? Like the kind you eat. I don't know. What do you want from me? It was, you know, that part was, it's almost kind of tense, too. Like, is. Yeah. Because I thought, uh, I didn't know, what, what, you know, I know they were probably going to hit Jimmy Hoffa, but I was wondering yeah, if... Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I was wondering <laughs> if De Niro was going to hit Sally Bugs on the way there or something. Or if Sally Bugs was supposed to clean up Frank mm-hmm. on the way out. Yeah, that was the whole thing, I think, with Frank Being the refusing backseat. to sit in the front. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I also thought De Niro had some good silent acting, too, in the last quarter of the film, when the... FBI is talking to him, mm-hmm. and they're pretty much like, "There's fucking nobody else left, yeah, man. Every, everyone's dead. Everyone is dead from this whole thing." Like, mm-hmm. and it's a great point. Like, the only people who aren't dead are Jimmy Hoffa's family. Yeah. Like, if it was you, would your you want your family never to know what happened? Yeah. And you, you can you can tell that, that guts him. Yeah, it guts him more so I think because he's dead to his family anyway. So he just he, I don't think he has sympathy for the Hoffa family. Yeah, I don't know. I think he does more than he lets on. I, I think he exercised that, you know, because later on he tells the priest, like, I, I, I shouldn't, like, why would a man ever make that call? Like, I think I think he regrets calling uh, Hoffa's wife. Yeah, I don't know. I'm also not on the, if I'm him and I killed my best friend, I'm not sure that I would want the family of them to know that he was killed by his best friend ever. Right. I think I'd... I would assume that family would be better off not knowing than knowing it was yeah. a family, a close worse, family friend. It'd be worse for Frank for them to know, but probably worse for also the family to know. Right. That, you know, probably the days before they had him over for dinner, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And also, I'm not convinced he fucking killed Jimmy off in real life, this guy. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, this is all the recant of the Joey Gallo murder, there's like multiple eyewitnesses that say five people came in that diner and killed him. Yeah. And he was like, no, it was just me. So this guy's probably like full of shit. Mm-hmm. Or was full of shit. How full of shit do you think the movie is on purpose? So. Because it's, it's structure is essentially like he's senile and telling someone the story of all this stuff. Right? That's where the, the present keeps cutting back to. Right. Yeah, I didn't get the senile vibe as much. Not senile, but I guess he, he's an elderly man. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, the only problem I would have with the movie is that it played it up a little too non-fiction-y for it to be just the account of one dude. Yeah. Who's a bad guy. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's in, I don't yeah, know. I'm trying to think. Are there any scenes <clears throat> that the movie recounts that Frank is not in? I think there are, but I can't remember. Uh... I mean, pretty much in all of them. Yeah. 
Uh, I can't think of one. Off top I of mean, head. Yeah, the, all of, giving the background on Russ, that first montage where they're talking about how the Philly crime or organized crime works, about how you don't like Russ never asks you to do something, but you know that you have to. That's still like, yeah, he's not in those scenes, but that's his. That's, that's the system he knew. His like, this is how I picture it when I know how it works, mm-hmm. right? When it's working, and you know that he was directly told those stories, so it's right. like secondhand account. Right, and he believes them. Yeah, because also, we, we also, they, the movie does claim that the Italian mob killed Kennedy. Right. Which is a bold claim. Um, not an unpopular conspiracy theory or real history if you're into that kind of shit. But yeah, but relegated to the realm of conspiracy <clears throat> theory. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I haven't quite processed what it means, but I feel that there's a little bit of unreliable narrator in it. What that means, or what I'm meant to take from that, you know, that could just be me, and I need to think about it, or maybe it's not even there, and I'm trying to pull it out. Yeah. So, and I loved the, I especially loved. I feel like it's first time, you know, like I said, the beginning is Scorsese as you've seen him before. Uh, the stuff about the old age, I thought was great. Yeah. Um, and uh, very affecting is not the word, but very uh, I don't know, illuminating on what is the reality of these gangsters after like Goodfellas is over. Right. It's like what is the sunset for these people? Most yeah. of them died, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Die in jail, disowned by families. Yep. You know, it's not a good end. There's not a good retirement for that life. Not that they deserve a good retirement. No, they just, even talk about like Joe Kennedy, who was just mm-hmm. kind of like his son was president, and they just kind of left him. Yeah, they to just die. Kept calling him the old man. Left him to die mm-hmm. in his weird home in Florida. Like, <clears throat> yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a a an amusing detail that for any side characters, any of the mobsters. It would flash how they died and when they died. And then there was the one guy, uh, Tony Luke or whatever his name was, where it was like his byline, instead of like shot in the head six times by the FBI, like died 1980, it was beloved by all, died of natural causes 2001. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the only one person not shot in the face. (laughs) Yeah, everyone else was shot in the head multiple times. I feel like there was like a mafia movie... Made by Scorsese, like, based in, like, not New England, but, you know, that part of the country. And Stephen Van Zandt was like, hey, can I get on that real quick? <laughs> <laughs> like, of course you can. You're in all these movies. <laughs> um, I also really loved uh, Stephen Graham as uh, Tony Pro. Oh, he was so good. <clears throat> oh, man. I real, fucking hated uh, Tony Pro. He was great. Yeah, he was He was great at that little wormy role. Um, you know, I always think of him as Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Really kind of lifts and shifts that character over. Yeah. But uh, does a great job with being just a, a little asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love... It, it, that's, such a, uh, that's such a tense moment. The, uh, the, the scene in Miami with the... Like, he's 15 minutes late and wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. And that's like Hoffa's hill that he's willing to literally die on. Yeah. Uh, I also really liked, uh, we, we, I didn't recognize it at first, but Dominic Lambertozzi, um, he was in The Wire, he played Herc as Fat Tony Salerno. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of makeup on him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I didn't realize that till afterwards either. 
we, we were watching it and we said simultaneously, oh, it's that guy from The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought he was really good. I, I like seeing the scenes that had, like, essentially was like, oh, that's Philadelphia, that's New Jersey, that's New York. Mm-hmm. Whenever it was, like, Russ, uh, Tony Pro, and Fat Tony talking at the... the um, like the banquet? The, the banquet. I really like the scenes at the banquet. Another thing, like a movie slowing down the pace. Yeah. So from from uh, Frank Sheehan's viewpoint, he's just seeing like through the dancers, like all the people talking and the glares going to Jimmy Hoffa. It's the everybody knows how this is going to play out. Right. Was there anything about the movie you guys didn't like? I know we've been singing its praises. Is there is there anything that? You know, I mean, there's little stuff like I thought him going through the picking the gun out. For the Crazy Joe, it yeah was like a little Tarantino, I guess, if, like to tie back to that conversation. Like, yeah, eh, like it's not annoying, but also like the movie's three and a half hours. Do we need this? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> and following the gun to the bottom with the like arming a small country thing. Yeah, it's like, do you really need it? I know it's like five seconds, but the movie doesn't really need <laughs> to take up. its time for <laughs> yeah. that little flight of fancy. Yeah, right. Um, Just because you can do it doesn't mean you. Should I think Scorsese was just amused at how the word is spelled and how the river's name is pronounced? Because <laughs> I know that if you look at it with subtitles and you hear them say Schuylkill and you Squickle. see <laughs> Squickle, but yeah, I, I'm also using this as a, as a as a doorway into. I thought that Jimmy Hoffa's character is so frustrating, like it is such a difficult. I, it, it's difficult for me to reconcile the fact that I think that all of the mobsters in this movie are the reasonable human beings and Jimmy Hoffa is, like, the worst person. Yeah, I definitely Just took it like more of a, like, snapshot of the story filled with bad people. Yeah. You know? But, like, I, it, it created a feeling of absolutely no remorse when Hoffa gets off. Yeah, I, I don't think you were supposed to have remorse there either. I don't think they were. I don't think Hoffa was a good guy. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people think it's, that. It's it's kind of the logical conclusion because it is senseless in the point that the movie goes out of its way, maybe even a little too much, to show that like, hey, these gangsters tried. Everybody tried. Yeah. And Jimmy Hoffa made himself an immovable object in right. front of the mob. Yeah. The whole the whole Hoffa got himself killed. That Frank had to do it, and like. I guess I, I my problem was that I never saw Frank and Hoffa as like best friends the way that I would define best friends. They felt like they were lifetime business partners who had respect for each other, and that was it. Yeah, the the friend part of it never really. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think that that was executed as well as depicting their friendship. Right. Yeah, you do have, uh, you know, Frank's daughters love him as, like, an uncle or something. And they show the, him getting them ice cream, which which he loves. You almost need more scenes Just with, Peggy. Yeah, you need more <laughs> scenes of Frank and him sharing a moment that's similar to that. Rather than just, like, hugging him because he is a hired gun to protect him in right. his hotel suite. Yeah, the, on, the only thing that you get that makes you think, that convinces you that Hoffa thinks their relationship is special... Is when he's uh, when he's talking about how his union leaders are getting him thrown in jail, and he's calling them all the motherfuckers. And Frank storms out of the boardroom and is like, "I quit." 
you call me a motherfucker, a cocksucker. Like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to this. And he was like, no, you should know. Like, you're different. This doesn't apply to you. Right. That's, like, the only thing. And I don't think that goes far enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it just read as Hoffa needs this guy. And, you know, rather than true friendship, like, I'm sorry you had to witness that. It's like, all right, I'm kind of a petulant child the way I talk sometimes. And I still need this guy to protect me. Yeah. I think Chino was fantastic in that scene, though. Uh, yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I think it's it's really my only criticism that you know will prevent it from being my like you know favorite movie or top three movie of the year. Yeah, he's he does a really great job of <clears throat> being in control of showing being out of control. Yeah, like in that scene, his voice almost breaks that he's gonna cry. You like can't get the words out. Yeah, and yeah. now he's shouting and and all that stuff. So that's a good segue to. The big question I had was: Was this great, a great performance by Pacino, or was this a role that just fit Pacino? Like, which one would you lean toward? I think it's a great performance by Pacino. It's it has so many uh, like telltale signs that this was just a Pacino ass role. You know, it's his like big over the top shouting, like David said, his hua moment, but like. I still feel like this is a pretty subdued version of all of that. It and, was a little bit, yeah. And and I don't know. The deliberateness is a difficult thing to talk about when it comes to acting, but it felt like a really deliberate performance of the Jimmy Hoffa character. Yeah. And less of like let's let Pacino be Pacino. He was so good for me in that scene because um, that felt the most un-Pacino in the movie, where mm-hmm. he couldn't get the words out because I felt like Joe's characters are always like. Ready with a well-written soliloquy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like confident anger, and that was like vulnerable, yeah. unbecoming anger. You don't really see a lot from him. And then when he went from scared, I'm going to die, to full-on politician in the courtroom when they had failed assassination attempt. Yeah. When he spat out the like, they come at you with a knife, you got to run. Charge them if they have a gun. <laughs> I was yeah. like, God damn. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like everything I've read about Jimmy Hoffa in one scene. It's hard to know... Uh, it's it's a great question about Pacino's performance there. Is does the does the yeah, does the movie structure just kind of tailor itself to the mode Pacino can go to, or is it Pacino? Um, I don't know. Hard to tell. Maybe yeah. Gotta think about it a little bit. See, I th- I think that we get a lot of like the the what makes a bared man when you've got Hoffa delivering public addresses mm-hmm. and when you've got him in the courtroom. That feels like pretty standard Pacino. They're like, mm-hmm. and then it all comes back to one thing, solidarity. Like that is, you know, and I think that makes sense, right? So, because we get this depiction of like who Jimmy Hoffa was to the public and he was this larger than life, like next most powerful man aside from the president and then behind closed doors you've got a guy who leaves the door cracked when he goes to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. You know, who's, who, who loves ice cream and who will, like, you know, drop important things for ice cream, who hates some people are late to meetings. Like, that that feels so much more nuanced than what we would typically get from, you know, the president of the law firm slash the devil and devil's advocate. Totally agree. I think it's the most range he's probably shown. I'm trying to think of what's my starting point. Maybe since Dog Day of, you know, yeah. <clears throat> anger... And showing his fear, how he's scared and how he's not confident. 
the full gamut of the Pacino performance. Reminds me a little bit of Serpico. Yeah. Yeah. At moments. We feel De Niro and Pesci uh, and, and Pacino now. Uh, talk a little bit about Joe Pesci. He won the movie for me. It sounds like he's probably up there for y'all too. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize this. I knew he was like unofficially retired. It's his second starring film role since Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998. Hmm. He's been in a movie called Love Ranch with Helen Mirren that got panned about the first legal brothel in Nevada. Yeah. Uh, in 2010. And then he was in The Irishman in 2019. Wasn't he in The Good Shepherd? He had a cameo. Okay. And he had a voice role in a 2015 movie called A Warrior's Tale. Oh, but you forgot. He was also in a 2011 Snickers commercial with Don Rickles. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Don Rickles. He was in Irishman. Um, so, yeah. I was glad to, to see him back. And then I, I really want him to sneak an Oscar nom, man. I don't have him in my top five right now. But it's it's pretty subtle, but if the movie's strong enough, I would love to see him in there because just to be there, <laughs> and he would hate to be a part of yeah. the <laughs> 2019 Oscar machine. <laughs> he, he probably wouldn't even go to the ceremony, but it should really be it should be recognized. Yeah, yeah, he was fantastic. I hope everybody can hear about. My puppy snoring in the room with us. <laughs> that would be awesome if we looked at the waveform and there was just a steady, like, peak and valley for it. Um, but, yeah. So, Irishman. Uh, one of one of our listeners sent TJ a, uh, a, a, a breakdown of, if you don't want to sit for three hours and 30 minutes, here's how to watch it as a miniseries. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'll try to get uh, Chris to put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, but... Also, like, helpful. <laughs> yeah, and really great chapter divides. I don't know if, if the listener got it from somewhere, but I... I <laughs> it's a graphic, so I'm sure he did. Yeah, so I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's our that's our, uh, our our movie roundup for the week. I uh, appreciate you guys uh, obeying the uh, short window on homework watching and getting this... I don't know why I keep assigning these long movies, but... Um, we're going to kind of butt in right here, right before Reality Roundup. Um, for homework, we're going to have something similar next week. Um, you know, we, we can't avoid how Oscar season it is once the month of December kind of hits full stride. Um, and we've got another movie coming to streaming. It is Noah Baumbach's film, uh, Marriage Story, which we're going to talk about uh, extensively. It releases December 6th. We'll record probably December 8th to release later that week. So just... Be on the lookout for Marriage Story, uh, starring Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. Um, yeah, it drops on Netflix December 6th, and it's uh, a lot for me and David, I would think, at Best Picture at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, really good chance at Best Director, probably a lock at both lead acting categories at this point, with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. Yeah. And uh, could appear a bunch of other places too, but it's definitely going to get nominated for multiple Oscars, so... Yeah. So this is your warning, you've got a week to watch it, um, it's going to... Uh, uh, w- once it drops, catch it. Uh, we'll we'll be talking about it uh, extensively. Um, yes, that's your homework assignment. <laughs> and tell us if you watch it with your wife or husband. <laughs> it is a divorce movie. I yeah. watched the extended trailer for the first time, and it got me like feeling feels. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. trailer did, so that's not good. Um, but yeah, watch Marriage Story. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's let's, let's do kind of the uh, right now. The, the act- <laughs> let's just pretend. Let's do our, our acts two and three that we typically do when we record a watch list, and let's talk about uh, Rally Roundup. Yeah. Uh, I. Do you have Survivor? Yeah. Okay, good. 
I briefly want to mention that the uh, that the challenge is uh, reaching its hilarious conclusion. Have you been watching it, David? I have, and I thought uh, the last two episodes I thought were really good. Yeah. Because finally something shakes up the numbers. Yeah. Finally someone stands up to an alliance that has been bullying the game and says, no, we won't do it. And it happens right before they go to the final, which I think is a uh, uh, probably a little too late. Um, mm-hmm. But... The good thing is, is that there's no fat on the UK team anymore. Yeah, where there definitely is on the US team. Yeah, they managed to cut Nani out, which they needed to. I know that, that Leroy talks about Nani like she's a competitor, but she just doesn't have the physical prowess. Yeah, she is not. <laughs> yeah. As evidenced by her losing to Ashley, Master of Puzzles. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she she solved that, that puzzle in 30 seconds. Which is really cool to see. I mean, it, whenever Ashley does stuff like that, like you realize that for all her hot-headedness, for all of her like poor swimming, mm-hmm. which she's an okay swimmer, for, for all of her flaws, she is just like a ridiculous puzzle player. Mm-hmm. You uh, wouldn't you wouldn't think right because she plays like the dumb blonde with big fake tits, and but she I think she does. I think she's smart enough to know that she plays that role. Definitely. And winning the season so far for me is the Jordan Tory partnership. Oh yeah, just fucking love them. And Jordan just like masterclassing the the brain over brawn yeah. against uh, Josh last week yeah. was just awesome. Yeah. And then watching watching CT finally have his face turn mm-hmm. and and stop being one of the numbers for Kara and Polly. I mean, I love that the UK team has called him Pops. Mm-hmm. All season, because he really has been kind of the voice of reason. The like, look, if you want to play this game, here's how you play it. And he's straddled the fence, and now he's finally decided that like. Then he's coach players on their like political game, which is crazy. Thinking CT from ten years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's funny. I was reading some. I was reading a lot about CT and what he did, and read that basically anyone who's going into elimination, CT sits down with them and talks to them. Anyone mm-hmm. on both sides. He's done it all season long, hmm. where he's just like sat and had a chat with him about like, all right, here are the things like like know your strengths. Like if you're gonna like be up against this person, here's what you've got to do. And he's just been like, you know, the Godfather basically. I just loved seeing him and uh, love that he's actually got to stick around this season. Yeah. Sometimes he's kind of out early. Yeah, because people are like, I don't want this animal in a physical elimination because he's going to destroy me. Yeah, he's played a great background political game for. Uh, you know, being on a team that has lost almost every single week, yeah, and not being of that nationality and still sticking around, yeah, yeah. That the that the Brits didn't turn on him at some point to just be like, well, it's a hard vote. Let's thin let's thin something out. Yeah, like you've you've known Leroy for like twenty years. Yeah, but still, you're on the other team. Yeah. But anyway, that's you know, watch the challenge. It's been a good season. It's been kind of an unimpressive season up until now, yeah. um, but it's. I think we're in for a, a good finale. But what we really come here to talk about is uh, Survivor. Um, I don't think that this is a super exciting episode of Survivor. Other than it was, it was fun, all the uh, the immunity idols played at the get end and fake immunity idols, which the guy. You know, pretty much knew it was fake, and Jamal was like, "Yeah, I got him." <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even play the way Jamal gave him, which is great. Yeah, he made a fake version of the fake idol. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, not to 
going to the tangent, but wasn't uh, Jamal's big advantage is like they finally have pen and paper, and then like Dean is like, oh yeah, on my pen and paper, I'm gonna make a fake one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the ink that I have. Yeah, yeah. I showed they showed like the little like little art studio. <laughs> <laughs> Like any color you would want. <laughs> you have more more there than he did at the Island of the House. <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's anyway, good. sorry. Side. side no, point. I like that. That's good. Good point. I don't know why they didn't let Jamal just like print, like tell them what he wanted it to say and then deliver it. That would have been so much more convincing. Yeah. Like, it's such, it's such a silly, silly like device that is on the show right now. But... Yeah, TJ mentioned that you know we've been talking about Karishma as the easiest person to sit with when you're down to three, but after the last two weeks, Karishma might she's slowly building a resume. She had a perfect idol play, perfect idol play, mm-hmm. and sent home the biggest threat to win the game probably at that point, Missy. Yeah. So yeah, she's had two really good weeks. Um, I don't think she'll make it still, but yeah, and you know, obviously no chance of winning, but you if you're in the final three, that's the kind of person that could take a vote or two. Karishma. Yeah. Yeah. I think she has a chance of winning. If she's sitting next to Dan and Nora. No. Yeah. <laughs> In that case. I, just, well, I mean, the Goat Island thing is real. Like He's like, goats don't work if there's more of them than there are us. Because yeah. then they'll just go sit there. That's true. So, you've got to have one. and I still think they're going to take Dan to the final and he just won't be there on the, yeah. on the live show. Uh, if I had to pick my top three right now, I think we're looking at Nora, Elaine, and Dan. Yeah, I think at some point still they might just let Janet win. <laughs> I still think that's a possibility. Um, um, well, do we want to talk? Do we have any breezy that we want to talk about? Do we want to talk more about Survivor? I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, not a lot on Survivor. I was glad to see the last of the people. I mean, I guess we should mention since me and you bitched about it for an hour yeah. that week on air that we did get rid of the three people that pissed us off. The most, besides the actual inappropriate toucher. Besides yeah. the aggressor, the <laughs> right. silencers. But all three of them went the next three votes. Yeah. So that has got me full on board back with this season, kind of. Yeah. Um, and I still don't think that is all done. Right. Um, I think it was handled, either handled incredibly poorly by CBS, or there's something else that's going to happen this season in relationship to it. Right. Even if that is just Dan not being at the live final. Right. It's Yeah, there is a caginess with which... <clears throat> castaways are talking about this whole thing and I don't think that it is someone as eloquent as Jamal is holding his words because he's afraid of a misstep but I think that there is a production event that happens that they can't talk about for fear of spoiling and like ruining their contract with CBS so oh, sure. I mean, they're NDA to death right yeah well I mean Yes. They can also, only, though, if it's already happened, they can season thirty three was the first uh, episode of first season of Survivor I watched. Ever since then, Rob has a podcast. Rob's an old player who made the final three, not Boston Robinson. Yes, yeah. and he exit interviews the morning after an episode airs at like five a.m. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. clockwork, it's part of their rotation that they have to do, and uh, that has been shut down this season. Hmm. So it is more so than normal on the NDA side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, but like I said, it may be as little as Dan won't be at the live finale, and I would be fucking shocked if he's there. Yeah. They yeah. don't want a live <laughs> studio audience booing a dude. Right. Uh, and, and they didn't know when it's Aaron that it was going to have the backlash it did. I mean, they would have to know. Right. Or, like I said, it's either been handled like as badly as a network can handle something like this, 
uh, or something else happens. Yeah. Is my prediction. Sure. I think it's pretty fair. But I think anybody besides Dan can win the damn thing right now. Honestly. Depends who gets to the final three, obviously. Yeah. And there's still a chance to go in the the end of the season run, right? Yeah, that's my thing with like Dean and Nora, people who are on the bottom, like they could idle out. Yeah. They could just idle if out. they win every immunity challenge yeah. from here on out. And I idle can see out. Nora fucking doing it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Have a have a ballsy idle out challenge, win I'd, it, and pick you know, pull a I'm I'm picking the the favorite to go draw fire against kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Nora did do something in this episode that I thought it was eye rolly, but I was like, that's an interesting move, which was trying to let them all eat as much breakfast as they could. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. like, that's kind of clever. Yeah. Uh, Jeff even liked it a little bit. He was like, yeah, good try. That's not how this works. I think it's kind of like karma for like the, uh, I won. Yay. Yeah. God, that was it's great. Like, I peanut love butter. <laughs> she goes, oh shit. <laughs> Maybe they'll share. That was her quote. Like, yeah. No, why the fuck would they share, you idiot? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess we've already answered the what to watch next week. Did we? I don't know what else is out. Yeah, but I mean, watch a marriage story. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) On Netflix on Friday. Stay home this week. Is there anything else coming to theaters or? Uh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, this... If this was a real podcast, this is the part that I would cut out, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, only because I like having theater recommendations, especially because the, uh, um, even though we don't do wide release, I was reading a lot of the, uh, the Irishman and how all, like so many of their deals with, uh, with theater heads shut down because they were asking for 60 days and Netflix was like, no, we're not giving you 60 days. And so the best they got was there was a limited release of the Irishman November 1st in theaters. And then wide on the 27th. Uh, you got a couple of movies coming out. Cool. On December 6th. Uh, Marriage Stories hit Netflix. The theatrical releases are The Aeronauts, which looked kind of cool. The trailer. That's the balloon movie. Yeah, the is, balloon movie. Is that like, related to the His Dark Materials series? No, it's based off a real thing. Oh. Is that okay. theaters or is that straight to Prime? Uh, it's in the <clears throat> Okay. It was just weird because they just introduced in his Dark Materials the Lin Manuel Miranda character who's the aeronaut. Yeah, and so then I didn't hadn't seen a trailer for the aeronauts. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, "Well, it's the based off the guy who was like like the first uh, meteorologist." Okay, pretty much took his balloon up to see clouds move. Um, him and his wife. Exciting. What the news about? Yeah, yeah, it'd be great if it wasn't uh, that guy who I hate. And then also Eddie Redmayne oh. is Eddie reuniting Redmayne. with uh, um, Rose, not Rose Byrne, um, dang. Star Wars, Jen Erso. What? She was in the lead in uh, Felicity Jones. Yeah, okay. Felicity Jones. It's a theory of everything <laughs> reuniting. There's also this weird movie I've never heard of, but it's the only other wide release. It's called Playmobil the Movie. What? It's a French animated adventure comedy. Weird. <clears throat> I don't know anything about it. Uh, I think Playmobil, isn't that a type of toy, like a Duplo type thing? Okay, it's got Jim Gaffigan, Adam Lambert, Keenan Thompson, Megan Trainer, Daniel Radcliffe as starring roles. 
Weird. Weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick Marriage Story because I told everyone to watch it. Yeah, well, Marriage Story. I'm not I'm not sold on Aeronauts yet. I kind of bet it's going to suck. Even yeah. It could not. And David hates Eddie Redmayne, so I don't think he's going to pick he's it. He's allergic to him. Fuck Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> if you want to come on this podcast, you probably could. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to try to threaten somebody. <laughs> if you come to this podcast... Hey, Eddie Redmayne. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of your work, but our podcast could use the publicity. <laughs> but yeah, so next weekend, watch Marriage Story. Uh, we're going to be talking about it in depth, uh, kind of like we did today with The Irishman. Yes. But that's podcast, guys. That is podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. You can find us on Facebook at The Media Bias on our pages, Games Bias, TV Bias, Movies Bias. You can find us on Twitter at The Media Bias. You can send us an email, TheMediaBias at gmail.com. And uh, you can rate us. We would love that. Give us five star or lower, preferably five. Uh, and or higher if you can figure it out. Whoa. <laughs> Game the system. Uh, I don't think I can formally recommend that you create a bunch of puppet accounts to all give us uh, five star ratings. But, but we could informally recommend that you do that. <laughs> I'm not saying you should do that. Uh, special thanks to the Willow Walkers for intro music. Willow Walkers! Willow Walkers! And special thanks to, Boop, I almost said John wait. Roderick and the long... <laughs> nice. Uh, for, to Bruiva for our outro. Off their album, Putting the... What is it? Putting the Days to Bed. Nice. <laughs> uh, off their album, uh, the song It's a Departure, off their album, Putting the Days to Bed. There's a lot yeah. of good tunes on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks to Bruiva as well, and thanks to you guys. Thanks, guys. That's fun. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know